0: The New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports, or OAS, provides this podcast as a public service. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the agency or state. This is Addiction,
1: The Next Step. Hey everybody, this is Jerry Gretzinger, your host for Addiction, The Next Step, brought to you by the New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports. And uh, on today's episode, we're going to be talking to someone who's involved uh, with making a difference. And uh, a lot of people who we speak to do exactly that, but this is this is a different uh, way that they're getting involved in, in making things better for people uh, who are looking for services and supports. And I'm going to introduce you to Ashley Mensch right now. She's the executive director of Nick's Ride for Friends. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Nice to have you on the uh, the podcast today. And let's start first with giving people a, a quick overview as to, you know, you know, where they can find Nick's Ride for Friends. Where are you guys located? What do you do?
0: So Nick's Ride for Friends is located in the downtown business district of Auburn, tucked um, right behind the Holiday Inn and to our east is Holy Family Church and to our west is Auburn Correctional Facility. So it's a it's the location of the true crossroads, so to speak. All
1: right.
0: Um, right down in, 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 in on Chapel Street in Auburn, New York.
1: Great, great. So people kinda have a sense as to where they can find you guys. Now let's let's give people a look at what Nick's Ride for Friends is about. What what is what's the I guess what's its call to action and how did it get started? And I, I also have to ask, who's Nick? I'm sure this is named for someone important.
0: So uh, our Nick is the person who inspired the creation of this grassroots effort. Nick's Ride for Friends started in 2016, a year after his premature passing due to an opioid overdose. The family wanted to do something to offer support and help and hopefully prevent this from happening to other families. That's become, unfortunately, far too familiar to our our, our area, our, our state, and our country. Um, they opened up a drop-in center in a storefront in a, in a different location. We've since moved and grown quite a bit uh, to, to offer that alternative service um, uh, area for folks to come in and, and, and receive guidance and how to navigate the treatment system, you know, where they could go for support mm-hmm. um, relative to, you know, losing folks to this disease and just a, in a community where people get together and, and are, you know, working towards the common goal of recovery and have the support of one another.
1: Right. And, and, well, and
0: so that's how it started.
1: And it, I mean, it's, you know, from, from what we do here with the podcast, we talk to a lot of people and obviously what you're talking about is, is so important and provides so much help to people. I want to, I want to go back a little bit. So you said 2016 was, was when Nick's ride for friends got its start, right? Correct. So talk to me about, it's, it's called Nick's Ride for Friends. Why is it called Nick's Ride? What's the ride part of it?
0: So uh, the original founder was a, a big fan of motorcycles. And, you know, the idea was to carry others to recovery and, and offering the space. So I think it was a combination of, you know, just the kind of creative naming of the organization yep. And and actually, the front of the bicycle, which is our logo, is a lacrosse stick. And Nick was a big lacrosse player, and it's got the handlebars. And so there was a lot of creativity that went into the the development of the, the organization's name.
1: Yeah, and I and I, I like that uh, what you just said too about Nick's ride, and it's about you know helping to carry people when they need that 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 help, that support. Um, so it started out uh, in 2016 and obviously efforts like these grow over time. And you've been talking to us about, um, you know, what, what you try to provide now, the services that are available now, talk to me about that growth, how how things got started and how things really kind of took off. And obviously, you know, people had to come together and show their support to continue to nurture this, to get it to where it is today, I'm sure.
0: Correct. So initially it was, it, it was literally a drop in, center clubhouse space and really used a clubhouse space model and folks from the community would come in for a cup of coffee to talk with somebody family members looking to you know get information and guidance on how to navigate the treatment world you know questions about insurance all those sorts of things that unless you work in the field might be ambiguous and so it started like that and then slowly over time we saw the, the value that this organization was having in our community and you know it's almost like the centerpiece, like the, you know, next ride is bridging the gaps between the providers and helping improve access, you know, helping with the, the biggest barriers to treatment, which are going to be transportation, you know, just the, 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 the information on how to navigate the treatment system and then having somebody that can stay with you for the journey. Right. So like in treatment and I'm a clinician, we're always talking about, you know, we talk about discharge at the point of admission, and we need to have those conversations. And, you know, people that struggle with substance use disorders have a lot of, you know, challenges around abandonment. And so the nice thing about peers and Next Right is we offer a continuum of relationship that can span from the point of crisis and throughout all the different levels of care and back into reintegration into the community. So I think people find a lot of safety in that, knowing that they can rely on, at least this one person as a support throughout that whole process as they change and go through the different levels of care.
1: Be with them for that entire ride. Correct. Yeah. You know, I, I think what you said too is, is so important. You talk about the gaps and how there are there are gaps. You know, you you know, we here at the agency, you know, we try to make sure we provide everything that we can, but uh, there are so many pieces that I think people don't always, you know, recognize. And you mentioned one of them, transportation. So Nick's Ride again, what what a great name. You guys are able to help coordinate transportation for people?
0: We are. We have two vehicles. We're about to have a, a third and it's been very helpful. We do about sixty different transports a month. We're a city of about 30,000, a little above or below, depending on the day. Uh, And so we're able to offer those, those services. So a lot of our folks, they do have insurance and Medicaid will pay for transport once they're connected to treatment, but they don't pay, you know, for example, to transport people to, you know, treatment court appointments and um, folks that don't have Medicaid aren't eligible for the Medicaid transport and that can become a barrier. So that's been, you know, probably one of the, the more utilized services that we have and you know, all they have to do to get rides uh, is to engage in services, and that just means they work with a peer at a frequency they determine. Uh, sometimes that's weekly, sometimes that's daily, sometimes that's once a month. Uh, and then, you know, as long as we're planning ahead, we, we, we happily help them get to their appointments. And so that's just one of the, the services that we right. offer. We we're really uh, in the community organization. Now we moved out of that initial storefront on 12 cells um, and we're given the gift of property, which formerly was uh, the rectory for Holy family. And uh, recently our uh we were able to uh, provide space for Farnham to open up their new opiate treatment program in Auburn, New York, you know, expanding access to medication assisted treatment in our community. Cause that was never available before in Cougar County. We are, We have a peer that works in the Cuba County Jail. We work in the Auburn Community Hospital and the Behavioral Health Unit and the Emergency Department helping bridge those discharges hopefully to treatment and if not helping the ones that are identifying as homeless enter the emergency response system through a partnership with the Department of Social Services. We also work in the Department of Social Services with a program called Keeping Families Together with Child Protective Services and the Foster Care Divisions through a Bureau of Justice Assistance Grant, and we do post-overdose outreach in conjunction with the Auburn Police Department. So we go and respond to those identified as having had an overdose, a suicide attempt, or just in general, general classified as a welfare check and provide Narcan peer support, offer them you know, the, the slew of the peer support services to see how we can help maybe connect them to care. Yep.
1: Yep. And that's yep. yeah, gonna a gonna lot say- of
0: what we do right now.
1: Yeah, I know it's, 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 it's terrific because you're involved in a lot of really important areas, and it's great that over the years uh, Nick's ride has been able to expand to touch all those those spots. Um, you know, I, I want to take a minute, too, because some people may be uh, listening in, and we, we touched on it briefly, you know, who, who Nick was and, and why this is happening in Nick's name. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about that. I know you said it was 2015 where he was taken far too soon. Uh, he, he was 20 years old, am I, am I right? He was 20
0: years old. Uh, and he, his, you know, pathway, I guess, to the developing this, um, his substance use disorder was through a wrestling injury. And I think that alone probably tells the rest of the story, right? So he was injured. He was, uh, he was, I think being vetted for, for schools for how, how, you know, amazing he was as a wrestler at a young age. And, uh, once he sustained that injury, you know, there was the prescribing of pain medication and, and, before anybody really knew what was going on, it, it was too late.
1: So he was, I, I, it sounds like he was prescribed uh, some sort of medication that was an opioid. And and, and then, just, as, as you said, it kind of tells the story just knowing that much.
0: Correct. Yeah. And I didn't know Nick personally, but his, his mother is on our board. And I, I worked with Joel collaboratively when I was the program director at Grace House. Um, and, you know, just wanted to prevent this from happening to other families. And, and the prevalence he, you know, dictated a need in our community and you know, he, he had the the wherewithal to, you know, influence and motivate and, and like, you know, lift up this sort of effort to what it has turned into today.
1: You know, and Ashley, I think, you know, one of the reasons I wanted us to talk about this too is I think, you know, there, there's still well, there's certainly still a part of the, the population that, you know, sees people who, who have substance use disorder and you know they they don't always realize that this is a, a, a it's a medical diagnosis at this point right because you know what those opioids do in the brain it creates this need for it and you know nick uh, from what you're telling me he he he's his first experience with opioids was because of an injury with with a sport and those opioids did what they do and they made his brain you know, just need it. His body actually required it. It wasn't that he, he wanted it or made made a conscious decision to do this. And I think people, you know, it's always important to remind them, you know, the, these the, these people who this has happened to, you know, it's you have to remember how they got to, to this point and, you know, continue to do what we can to, to raise awareness about, about the dangers. Correct. And I think it's great, too, that, that you guys are out there, that you're talking, that you're doing this podcast, that you're making services available uh, because it helps to continue to raise that awareness, and I'm gonna I want to do one more thing. Actually, you and I spoke a little bit before the podcast began that you also have a story that makes you, um, you know, you know, particularly interested in wanting to do this type of work to to support the work of Nick's Ride. Uh, and you said you're willing to share some of your story, um, which you know I'd, I'd like to ask you to do a little bit of now, so that people can can know that you are someone who's who's a peer. You you kind of know you know what's going on with this.
0: Absolutely. So I, uh, I'm somebody who, when I was 22 years old, had uh, started using heroin, and by the time I was 24, I had become pretty destitute and hopeless that I was ever going to be able to um, get myself out of the state of addiction I found myself. I had been to treatment. I had tried buprenorphine, which was pretty new back then, and I just I couldn't seem to stop. And uh, so, like my my turning point was, you know, the point at which, like, I was contemplating suicide for a good month. And um, I had attempted to get on a list for the only OTP in central New York at the time, which was, uh, I believe, cross chemical dependency. And that was a long waiting list. And at that time, you know, I, I didn't have stable housing or, you know, my phone service was in and out. And, and by the time my name came up on the list, like, you know, they gave you two weeks to respond, I think back then. And, you know, I, I was pretty transient and, and wasn't able to be notified. And so every time I called to see where I was on the list, you know, I'd been removed from the list because my name came up but they made efforts to contact me and I wasn't able to be contacted. And so, Somebody had told me that if I went down to New York City and they had a lot of OTPs down there and I could just, you know, walk in. And so in the middle of the night on January 12, 2009, um, I had somebody transport me down to the Lower East Side of Manhattan where I became homeless in order to receive methadone. And I was homeless for nine months and I came home October 6, 2009 after my dad had a, a, a major cardiac issue up here in Central New York. And I just, during that time period, even though my living situation wasn't much, I, I was able to, I was, I was alive and I was grateful. Um, and I was able to get a job at Dunkin' Donuts and on Mermaid Ave in Coney Island. And I gained 20 pounds. And when the health crisis happened to my dad, I was just, ready to physically and mentally face the pain that I knew was coming when I came off the methadone and by the grace of God, I was able to do it when I came home. And I think that a big part of my story involved going back to college. You know, I, I definitely uh, grew up in a family where it wasn't really optional to go to college. And, you know, I'd almost completed my four year degree at SU for painting. I was a painting major and, um, knew I had to do something productive with my, with my mind. Otherwise it would have just been a matter of time. Mm. So I reached out to one of my counselors at Tully Hill. I'm actually from Tully. And I, I also went to the rehab in Tully. Um, and I said, uh, Dane, how did you become a case act? And he said, you know, it's been so long. I don't know, but they just started this program, the OCC you should go talk to so-and-so. And I, and I went up and I registered on the last day before the start of spring semester. And I, had to complete two semesters with my transfer credits and to get my 350 hour certificate. And, uh, I just never really looked back, but education was a big piece that helped me rebuild my confidence in direction. Cause I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had become an expert in all this stuff. right? Sure, right yeah. uh, and and, and I, it's, I think it's also important to share that this was before the fentanyl like really hit the street supply because there's no doubt in my mind that had that been the case, I wouldn't be here having this conversation today. You know, I had a really, really bad, heavy, dark habit. And, um, I am, I do believe that I'm on borrowed time and I do believe that the reason I'm still alive is to help others.
1: Well, and you certainly are, so, are helping others today with what you've chosen to do. And, um, I, I, th- I think, I thank you for sharing that story because I think people who are, hearing it it shows them that you know I think sometimes hope is hard to find but hearing a story like that I, I think reminds them no hope hope is attainable so I appreciate you sharing that of course yeah Ashley mench I want to thank you for being our guest today on the podcast uh, Nick's ride for friends if people want to learn more um, you know what what do you recommend is there a website a phone number we'll put it out there but if people are listening and they want it right away what would what you recommend they do
0: so we do have a website uh, and and we you know we're, we have a we have all of our peers have their own cell phone numbers, but the mainline number is three one five, two five three three nine four five. 253 3945 My extension is 101. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to take any calls and certainly check out our, our website and our, and our Facebook page. And we'd be happy to, to answer any questions or help in any way we possibly can.
1: Great. And we will certainly link to all of that as well. Ashley, again, I want to thank you. I appreciate you sharing the story of Nick's Ride for Friends and sharing your own story. Keep up all the great work.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And that's it for us for this edition of uh, Addiction, the Next Step. I'm Jerry Gretzinger, your host. Thanks for checking us out, and uh, we'll see you next time here on Addiction, the Next Step.